Every year, Christians and churches around the world put out their nativity sets and tell the Christmas story. But every year, something drives me crazy about the nativity sets. Yeah, there are some things that, that are not necessarily real accurate. The wise men probably come later. It's probably not in a barn, more likely a, a house than even a cave. Um, but there's a huge part missing when we tell the Christmas story. And that's the story of John the Baptist. We don't think about even John the Baptist as part of Christmas. But when Luke tells the story of Jesus, he also tells the story of John the Baptist. and actually goes back and forth between the two. Luke begins with an angel coming to a man named Zechariah with the promise that he would have a child that we know as John the Baptist. And then, and then Luke goes back and forth and sort of compares the two. So today I want to consider the role of John the Baptist in the Christmas story. But instead of thinking about John the Baptist and then looking backwards at some of the prophecies that look forward to him, I want to do what we've been kind of doing in the series. I want to start with the Old Testament and then I want to, I want to read those in context and then I want to look forward to, uh, to what's going on in the first century as the gospel writers see John the Baptist in these verses. Last week, I developed an an important idea that the prophets are are not predicting the future the way we think of them. They're not fortune tellers reading poems, but actually the prophets are reading their times and trying to speak God's word to their moments. And as they look around different prophets at different times in different places, they start to see that this world is not the way it should be. And so if God is who we say God is, the world shouldn't be like this. So someday, God's going to do something different. It's going to be a different world. It's going to be made right. And they emphasize this using uh, Sinai, using creation, using the kingship of David, all the high points of the Old Testament. They say, it's going to be like that, but better. It's going to be like that, but better. God will judge the world's evil, make things right. And as the prophets imagine this world, they imagine that God will have to do something to make this come about. And in fact, that God is going to send someone who's going to do the ruling, who's going to to make things right, and who's going to make sure things stay right. This Messiah, meaning anointed one, or as the New Testament calls, Christ, anointed one. This one with oil poured on their head that the Holy Spirit has anointed We'll be like David, we'll be like Moses, we'll speak for and lead the people for God. Last week we we wrestled with how not all the pictures are the same. And how Jesus does and does not fulfill all those expectations. The prophets can't imagine Messiah will also be God. They can't imagine a split mission like a first and second coming. They imagine it all together. They think of it as a political or a national coming, which Jesus never did. But still, we can see in their expectations what they were looking forward to. We can look back and see Jesus in them. Now, this brings us uh, to our our, uh, our question for today, which is, how are we going to know when that Messiah comes? Well, there are several verses in the Old Testament that look forward to a forerunner, somebody who's going to come ahead and who's going to speak for the people, an announcer, a forerunner, to get ready the people. And there's two particular verses where this shows up. Isaiah 40, towards the end, of the, in the end of the book of Malachi. And so let's look at those verses, and then we'll come back and see John the Baptist in them. Let's start with Isaiah. 
So we're in Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah is probably three books. Isaiah 1, Isaiah 2, and Isaiah 3 are first, second, and third Isaiah. And Isaiah 40 starts the middle section. This is the section written in exile. Okay, so God offers comfort to his people and a promise to the end of their troubles. Here's from Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway of God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain shall be made low, and the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So God gives comfort to these people. Okay, you, you, I know exile's happening. I know you're in trouble. But, but, but give, have comfort. Have some peace. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, because the war is ending. Her sins are pardoned. And part of Isaiah's message is that exile is happening to Israel because they did not trust in God and they did not treat others well. And so exile, part of what Isaiah's message here is, yeah, you're going through exile and being punished, but the punishment will soon be over. Then there is this voice crying out. It's not clear. It depends on a little bit the translation that you read, whether it's a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare, or the voice is actually in the wilderness. Okay, this is one of those places where punctuation is important, and we can't be sure because there was no punctuation in the original. But, but the, the reality is, either way, this person is out there in the wilderness, and they're crying out, prepare the way of the Lord, make a straight path. In other words, get the people ready. Get the land ready. Get your hearts ready, because God's going to do something. Okay, even out the earth. Make the rough places that are hard to come through easy again. Okay, make it so that God can do whatever God intends to do in this world. The glory of God is going to be revealed so that all, and and let's make sure everybody can see that glory of God. And so Isaiah is imagining this one preparing the way. Malachi has this a little different. Malachi is the last of a collection of books that's called the Minor Prophets. It's sometimes called the Book of the Twelve. It's these twelve smaller books. They're not minor because they're less important. They're minor because they're actually smaller. And they're sort, of, they're sort of brought together to make one book. They have some themes that carry on uh, throughout them. And, and Malachi is the very last of these books. And in our Bible, it's actually Malachi is the very end of the Old Testament. So I'm going to read for you now the, the end of uh, Malachi. Um, Malachi 3. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way for me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? He is like a refiner's fire, like a fuller's soap. Uh, That's from Malachi 3, 1 and 2. Now let me get to the end of Malachi. This is Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. So this is the end of Malachi. This is the end of the book of the Twelve, and it's actually the very end. It's the conclusion to our Old Testament. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, 
and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. See, in the minor prophets, when the, when the Messiah comes, it's not going to be such a great day. It's the day of the Lord. It's going to be a day of judgment because we haven't treated each other well in this world. And so they're expecting uh, in, in Isaiah, but especially in the book of the 12, that when this comes, there's going to be judgment. Malachi, like Isaiah, reads this out of its own, his own uh, political, geopolitical, you know, sort of national understanding, but understands that there must be judgment for God to come and make things right. That we'll be burned with refiner's fire and clean or cleaned with soap, just like the rest of the world. But God promises to send a messenger when that day comes. In fact, he will send Elijah to turn the turn the hearts of fathers to their children and children to their father. In other words, Elijah is going to make right relationships in this world before the Lord comes. Now, why Elijah? Well, that's a whole other story. Elijah was a great prophet during the time of the kings. He did miraculous things, most notably on Mount Carmel. He called fire down from heaven when he faced off against the other prophets. Many times he spoke the words of the Lord to the kings. But most importantly for this discussion... Elijah did not die. Okay, According to 2 Kings 2, you can read the story for yourself. Elijah doesn't die, but he's taken up into heaven in a chariot of fire. And so part of the imagination of the prophets is that since Elijah didn't die, someday he's going to come back. And his coming back will be the, the sign that it is the day of the Lord. See, all these expectations then point forward toward not just Jesus, but to someone who's doing the announcing. And we can look back and see that as John the Baptist. In fact, all four Gospels make use of Isaiah 40 specifically about John the Baptist. And Malachi is used in particular in Luke as well. So now let's, let's think about the, the birth story of John the Baptist that often gets excludes, excluded. But I'm going to tell you it alongside the Jesus one so you see how Luke goes back and forth. Okay, uh, so the story begins with Zechariah. He and his wife are without children because she was barren, and now they are of the age where they can't have children anymore. But while Zechariah is serving in the temple of, in Jerusalem, an angel appears to him. Let me read what the angel says to him out of Luke chapter 1. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. You have, he will, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to their Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready the Lord a people prepared." So right there, since I just read all those Old Testament passages, you should already be picking up on what this angel is saying. He's, he's picking up these and saying, this is going to be John. Zechariah asked the angel, though, how can this be? Okay, um, they've, had to have, they, they've tried to have children. They know how this works. And they know now that it shouldn't be working anymore. And yet, um, uh, he, the angel says, you're going to have uh, a child. And I, I love if you read the passage, it's great. He says, but how can this be? Because 
because I am old and my wife is of advanced years. I love that he doesn't call his wife old. It's a smart man. She's of advanced years. Because of his doubt, Zechariah is made mute until the birth of his child. I can just imagine him coming out of the temple trying to sign for people, trying to write down for his wife what's happening. An interesting 10 months at Zechariah's household. And he's not allowed to speak until the child is born. Elizabeth does get pregnant. And he's not allowed to speak until he has to tell everyone the name that the angel gave to him for his son, John. There were no other Johns in his family. Now, uh, sometime after Elizabeth gets pregnant, Elizabeth has a relative who's living in Nazareth, whose name is Mary. And an angel shows up to her and tells her that she is going to be pregnant. But how can that be? Okay, Mary knows how this works, and she knows this shouldn't be happening. And yet she's told she's going to have a baby. An angel gave Mary a, this startling news, but he also gave her a sign, a sign that her cousin or relative, Elizabeth, is also pregnant. And so Mary goes to Elizabeth's house. And when they greet each other, the, the text says that the baby, it, John, inside Elizabeth's womb started to dance and jump around and turn. And it's almost like somersaults. Remember, he was promised he would be filled with the Holy Spirit before his birth from the womb. So John's job was to proclaim the coming Messiah, and he started early. Mary sang a song we call the Magnificat that praises God for all this, and it is loaded with Old Testament images and references. She stays with Elizabeth for three months and then heads home. And then it's after that that, Zachariah, that Elizabeth has the baby. Zechariah can finally speak to tell everyone the name of John. Zechariah then, filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesies about his son. And again, his words are full of Old Testament imagery. Um, and so even in his prayer, in his song, uh, he's making use of these passages. We know the rest of John's story. He went on to live in the wilderness. He baptized people in the Jordan River, called them to repentance, told them that the day of the Lord was at hand. Uh, John even baptized his relative, cousin, second cousin, whatever that was, named Jesus, who he proclaimed to be Messiah, who he said he didn't deserve to baptize Jesus, but Jesus had him do it anyway. When John in his ministry was asked if he was Elijah, he said no, because he's not Elijah. He's not the one that, that was taken up and it's not reincarnated Elijah, but, but he is the one that was called for in the spirit and power of Elijah to speak the coming of the Messiah. He critiqued the powers of his day. John the Baptist critiqued the powers of his day, including Herod Antipas, son of Herod the Great. Herod actually had John the Baptist beheaded for his critiques. Now, if you, if you understand what Luke is doing, right, he's going back and forth trying to say, you know, uh, Elizabeth, Mary, John, Jesus. He's trying to make this connection uh, really clear. And, and this is the other important thing to remember, that, that the way Luke is, okay, think about this. The Old Testament finishes with Malachi and a promise of Elijah. And where does Luke start his Gospels? With Zechariah and the promise of Elijah and John the Baptist. 
See, so, so if, we, if we take John the Baptist out of the Christmas story, which we almost always do, we miss a lot. Okay, let me point out a couple ways. First, John is the promised forerunner that announces the coming of the Messiah and the breaking in, uh, into the world. Okay? John is this one that's prophesied about. And so to really believe Jesus is the Messiah, you've got to see the forerunner proclaiming him. John is really the last of the Old Testament prophets. Okay? John is like the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's the last prophet, and he's the first to worship Jesus. He did it in the, in the womb. Okay? It's almost like Isaiah and Malachi and all of these prophets are in John, Elijah are all in John getting to, to worship Jesus, the Messiah that they all look forward to. And then John's identity as the forerunner points so strongly to who Jesus is. I mean, if you miss that John, what John is announcing and you take him out of the story, then you, you, you fail to realize just how strong the statement the gospel writers are making, particularly Luke in this case, that Jesus is this coming Messiah. Something of John's argument is, uh, something of Luke's argument is lost as John the Baptist gets left out. So, so this year, as you read and consider this Christmas story, don't skip John the Baptist. Okay, he doesn't make our nativity sets, but he plays a huge role in the gospel of Luke and in, and in our connection of Jesus to the Old Testament. And I think that the call of John the Baptist is a great call for you for Advent. What are you doing to prepare your hearts for the Lord? What are you doing in your life to make a straight path where God has easy access to whatever he wants to do in your world? Where do you need to repent? Where do you need to be baptized and die to yourself and come alive again so that this Christmas Jesus can enter into you and the Spirit can fill you in a special way? May John the Baptist's message enrich your Christmas experience this year. Amen.